This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. New message. Hey, girlfriend, it's Carol from Jury Duty. We never actually spoke, but I saw you ordered the same hoagie as me at lunch. What are the chances? Anywho, I heard you just got a boat. We should totally grab some hoagies and take it out for a spin. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Do I want to feel the wind in my hair? Guilty as charged. <laughs> oh, seriously, let's ride on your boat. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy not available in all states. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really gonna have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Welcome back uh, to another edition of that Mill podcast. Um, this is episode 16 uh, of the new season. So series two, the new season and episode 16. And I got it correct. Yes. You did. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. And, and as that voice you've heard, um, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see him already. That is Omar, my co-host. So good morning, Omar. How are you? Morning, Mickey, mate. I'm all good. Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to um, chatting away about yesterday's game with our special guest today. It's going to be great. Yeah, without further ado, let's uh, welcome our Millwall legend. He's uh, an English former professional player. He's played for goalkeeper as Chelmsford, Millwall and Coventry City. He's worked as a football scout for Everton, Tottenham, Aston Villa. He's managed various clubs in Norway and in Sweden. And currently he resides in Norway um, I really doesn't need much more introduction than that. It's the one and only Millwall legend, Brian King. Good morning, Brian. 
Good morning, Mickey, and good morning, Omar. Morning. Good morning. So yeah. um, you were you were there yesterday. You were, um, I think, up in the VIP area, weren't you? You were. Uh, did you do a speech? Yes, I did. Um, I had a I had an introduction introduction from Wes. I also met Barry Rowan, and I met my dear friend Billy Neal. Um, and of course, there was about 110, 120 people up there, which was which was good. And uh, just had to explain who I was. A lot of younger boys up there, a lot of younger people up there, obviously, who don't know who I am. Uh, but they certainly um, responded to me very well. And uh, as as all Millwall supporters that I meet, once they know who you are or what you've done, you're, you're always welcomed into the family. Yeah, I mean... I mean, to be honest, I mean, I was born, I was born the year you left Millwall, to be honest here. So I never got to see you play and Omar definitely never got to see you play. But um, we've, we've, we know about you. We know the legendary status with you. We know, um, you know, the team you played with and everyone else. And, and I think, you know, I've, I've known you for a while now. Um, we chat quite regularly across WhatsApp and stuff like that. And we, we moan and groan about bits and pieces and, and the team and, the fact that you're over now and we know that and we're going to it a bit later on when you're back over, um, I thought it was an ideal opportunity. I know you're doing your book and and obviously we will promote your book um, throughout this show, but I just wanted to do it slightly different um, because you've been on various shows and you've spoken about the book and everything else. And I, the way we do our shows is that we, we review the game and, and we go into detail on the game and, and have our... Um, non-football-minded expertise. It would be great to just get some of that expertise from you. you. You are, you know, a legend to the sport. You are a professional. You've been a scout. Um, so you do know football inside out. So um, I think what we do is we're, we're come back after part, we'll come back after this onto part one where we can hear Brian uh, join us in reviewing Millwall versus commentary. We'll be back straight after this. Welcome back to part one. Um, Melville versus Coventry yesterday, 1-1 draw. Um, there was a bit of controversy with the second goal for us uh, and a few other incidents uh, on the pitch. Um, but I suppose we'll start with um, their goal, Brian. What, do you, what did you make of that? Too easy? I thought it was very easy. I thought there were periods in the game where we let their players run quite large distances without get, putting them under any kind of pressure. Um, the, the central midfield just seemed to disappear early on there. And when the boy was allowed to carry the ball and play the ball off, then get it back and then play it into that space on the right-hand side behind the fullback again. I mean, there was only one place he was going to hit it and that was in off the far post. I thought Bart might give him a little bit too much room there, but there again, it should have been stopped. It could have been cleared. Um, and to go one nil down against a side who, who'd I'd heard had been playing very well, and uh, looking at the away support they had, um, that certainly surprised me because whenever I've been down the den, there always seems to be little pockets of away supporters in that uh, in that stand. But it looked pretty full to me, and uh, obviously Coventry are are going through quite a good time under Mark Robbins. They didn't fall into the trap of sacking Mark Robbins because. He didn't fulfil what they thought they were going to have, but having to play at Birmingham City, away from the home stadium, now they're back. I'm also in, um, very impressed with the crowds they've been getting, 23, 25,000. 
um, well-supported club. And I was expecting things to be a bit difficult for Millwall because I kept hearing there were quite a lot of injuries. Seven, eight players could be out, um, which surprised me. At the players that were used, um, one player who always continues to impress me is the boy Jed Wallace. Um, I think he's a very good footballer. Uh, it'd be interesting to see whether Millwall are able to hold on to him because I hear that his contract's up next season. Um, but at the start, I thought we could be in trouble here with the pace they had up front. Um, they were playing balls into the channels and and I thought we were quite fortunate early on not to go maybe one or two down. But when we got back in the game, um, we, sh we showed that we could play football and I thought our goal was well worked. I mean, a great run and the ball in. Um, okay, it was deflected in the goal, but I thought I thought the build-up, uh, the ball in the box and the finish were, for championship standards, very good. Can't understand how a game can, can turn a little bit when a side looked inferior as we did. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought the ball in from the left-hand side for the no goal was was it was a real quality ball in. I mean, the kid's got a good delivery and um, it was a great finish. I mean, I cannot see where offside come from that. I just can't see it. I know I've read somewhere today that um, Gary Rowett said that he's, he's seen this incident two or three times. We only see it the once, but it certainly didn't look offside to me. And that, funnily enough, was prior to an attack that Coventry had when the guy was offside and he was allowed to go on and they could have scored. I mean, the, I thought the officials yesterday were poor. Um, there were considerable amount of pushing, considerable amount of fouls that seemed to go against Millwall. Um, but we, we were always told when I played, small, small referee, you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> he tries to put his influence on the game. And uh, it was a funny incident when he was talking to Jake Cooper there. I mean, I think he's just about come up to the top of um, Jake Shorts and he's trying to he's trying to reprimand him on something he'd done, but uh, I thought that looked quite funny. But Millwall, Millwall surprised me too, but I, th I thought it was a good championship game. I thought it was a good advert for, for that league. It's the first time I've seen a live game. I saw the game against Fulham on TV in Norway and, and I thought that day Millwall really struggled against what seemed to be a quality team. But um, Coventry were also a good team. They passed it well. They got forwards, good movement. They were quick. Um, and that caused our defenders a bit of a problem. Um, Murray Wallace, I thought, um, done very well. Um, Bart made a couple of decent saves with his feet. Um, I, I just felt that we deserved... When I look at the game as a whole, I thought... We deserve to win, to be honest, because that 2-1 goal, I think, would have changed things considerably. May have ended up 2-2, 3-3, 4-4, I don't know, but but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good game of football. Millwall surprised me after everybody saying, oh, this is a third draw on the trot, but hang on a minute, you're away to West Brom, you're away to Swansea. I think you'd have been happy with those two points. Um, it's just that finishing that I think we need to to um, work on and, and maybe bring in another front player but 
it's going to be it's going to be a long season. I can see that. And uh, considering if it's true, all the injuries that we had, then I thought the lads that were there done pretty well. Definitely. I mean, I totally agree with everything you you recap the game there, Brian. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I, it's funny you picked up on um, obviously the wide areas down the flanks where you said obviously Coventry got a lot of joy. I think in the second half, um, he moved Cooper to the central and put Mario Wallace on the left side of the back three. And I think that was to kind of navigate that threat because time and time again, Coventry were kind of, you know, running down the flanks and kind of getting a bit of joy there. Um, and you mentioned obviously about the forward line. We have a phobie who's on loan from um, Stoke City who used to be at Arsenal, funny enough, as a boy. Um, and I think he, if he was playing yesterday, could have maybe been the difference there. I mean, me and Mickey obviously spoke about a few times about, you know, that kind of final quality in the final area. Um, and yeah, I couldn't agree more with you also about a disallowed goal. I think um, he's given it because I think Smith goes to the ball and then that kind of pulls the defender over. And they're judging Smith to be offside. I agree with you. It's very contentious and it's happened time and time again. But I think that's just offside nowadays, isn't it, Mickey? You know, they, they try to catch us out, don't they? And um, it's I think Keith Stroud also was he's a ref, the referee yesterday. We've had him a few times down the den and he's always been a bit kind of love or hate relationship with the middle fans, isn't he, Mickey? Yeah, no, he's he definitely does have. I mean, the, the, the offside, allegedly, the rule says if a player is moving from or standing in an offside position in a way of an opponent and interferes with the movement of the opponent towards the ball, this is an offside offence. If he impacts on the ability of the opponent to play or challenge for the ball, if the player moves into the way of an opponent and impedes the opponent's position or progress, e.g. blocks the opponent, the offence should be penalised under Law 12, which is obviously uh, an offside um ruling but i just yeah thank god he never stood there and told everybody that's the reason as they do in american football when there's a when there's an offense or a foul the referee makes the judgment short and sharp that's it if he'd have made that judgment, they'd been all right yesterday i mean um it, it was just a great ball in i mean it was a great ball curling away from the keeper with pace mm-hmm. it, was, it was prime for a, it was prime for a header smith big fella I thought Coventry struggled a little bit in the air defensively. Um, and I was expecting more pressure, especially from dead ball situations with Cooper and um, and Smith because they, they are a force in the air. Um, Coventry seemed to have problems defending balls coming into the box. Uh, I, was, I was a little bit... Um, I mean, the second header that we should have been going for ended up being a simple catch for the goalkeeper who was never really in, a, in any kind of pressure. Nobody put him under pressure for that ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're no, not the tallest think... team either, were they, Coventry? I no, agree they with you. Like, and it could have been like, obviously, they've got a lot of technically good players going forward, which we speak about, but the downfall would have been from set pieces, like you said, for defending them. And we didn't really test them enough. I think we only had, you know, when we had the, the ball to stand up to the back post, it was kind of lofted in. And like you said, the keeper was unchallenged a lot of the time, wasn't he, to kind of just yeah. claim the ball. It was a shame. No, it was, um, um, I thought that was a standout thing for me seeing that Coventry had problems defensively dealing with balls in the box, high balls in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Millwall could have exploited that more. I thought that um, I thought the two players, I mean, I do like the boy Wallace. Uh, I think he's an excellent footballer. Uh, and, you know, if, if you had seven or eight first team players supposedly out, then the boys that came in matched a team which this morning are second in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you played a team that was first in the league the other week, uh, West Brom. Um, Swansea, of course, came back yesterday, 
3-0 down to 3-3. So, you know, it's it's just that it's just that final third, I think, where 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 we're gonna have to get much more clinical. because um, oh. this league is tight, that's for sure. On the subjects of Wallace, you mentioned obviously, you know, he's we all know his contract's running out at the end of the season potentially and what do you make of that? Like, and obviously, he's been at the club for three or four years, and we've been quite good to him. I feel like, and he's obviously understandably trying to get the ambition to go to the next division. But what do you make of like players in general? I suppose, kind of, you know, late twenties trying to run their contract down. I don't know if he is trying to do it intentionally. Obviously, he's keeping his options open. But what's your take on that, especially in the modern day, where you know he's a player probably in the championship that we could maybe feasibly get six, seven, eight million before COVID. Um, if he had a couple of years on his deal, but now we could feasibly lose him for nothing. I just wonder what your take is on that. No, it's um, a thing. I, I presume it's being controlled by an agent. Um, again, they seem to agents don't seem to have the same loyalty to clubs um, or managers or teammates as what we had in our day. You know, you never our discussions never involved an agent for a start. But um, mm. whether that was good or bad, I don't know. But but um, I, I can remember going in two or three times and talking to Benny about what's this in the paper. And, it, and it, to be fair, they'd always say, look, Everton have been in, or Leeds, or Aston Villa, or, or Arsenal. Uh, we don't want you to go. I've made the point you're not leaving this club until I leave this football club. Hmm. And, and I said, well, that doesn't help me in, in my quest, maybe to play for England or, or playing in the old first division. But um, he said, well, we will... We will always help you uh, financially as far as we can, and and that's what they did. And um, although money's important, it, it didn't seem to be that important in them days, you know. Sure, I mean, I'd yeah, it, it, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, you, you can understand the player, I suppose. You know, he's thinking, I could, you know, he's probably going to be his last significant contract. If you, know, if you say he's twenty seven, twenty eight, if he gets the next three or four, maybe five year deal somewhere. It's probably his last big contract, isn't it, of his career? So maybe after that, he wouldn't get the same length. Yeah. So maybe he's thinking for his future in his head as well, isn't he? That's maybe. Well, it, well, it can be life-changing for him, can't it? You know, if he does get the first division club and it's the right club, um, he'll be earning really good money no matter who you play for in the Premier League. I mean, an ordinary player's earning a fortune. But um, he's, he's thinking of himself and his family, I'm, I'm sure. And uh, it certainly doesn't affect him on the pitch because... He seems to be involved and, and wants to be involved in, in everything that moves forward. He works hard. So that is a difficult one to say um, whether whether he should. But then how far can Millwall go with a contract? And, Very true. And at the moment, it's um, I can't see Millwall being in the Premier League this time next year. So as you say, Omar, time starts to run down for him. <laughs> and, and- I mean, how did you think of the players yesterday? I mean, me and Omar made a couple of comments throughout the game that some of them looked um, very leggy, very tired, um, possibly between, you know, they've had a few long um, away days, Swansea, they probably got back late, West Brom, they probably got left, um, they got back late. Um, so going into this game, they obviously had a bit of a, a harder um, prep than Coventry. I mean, Coventry probably... What an hour or so on the train, and then a coach. They had two home games, didn't they? Coventry have had two home games, whereas Millwall have had two away. Um, And yesterday, and yesterday again. I mean, it's a very, very warm day. I couldn't believe how warm it was. I mean, it's twenty-six degrees, and and uh, when you see 
teams having to stop for drink breaks in September in England, you start thinking, well, climate change, maybe it is climate change. But, <laughs> but um, no, it's been, it, it's been a hard couple of weeks for Millwall, Millwall players, that's for sure. And although you've only got three points and uh, against three decent teams, two of which um, had come down from the uh, two of which had come down from the Premier League, and Coventry who seem to be in a very good phase at the moment. Um, as I said before, why are all these injuries suddenly appeared? Is it is it because of the intensity of the matches? And um, but uh, no, I. Uh, I think uh, they have to win soon. They've got to win again. Is that four games they've gone unbeaten or is that... Um, yeah, we won just before the international Blackpool. against Blackpool and then three draws in a week now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what the situation it, we're in. It, it doesn't help as well when you've had a nearly a 14-day international break. Um, and then you've got those two trips. Because West Brom's a difficult place to go to, let's be fair. Although Arsenal seem to find it quite easy. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, no, I uh, I think there was a period in the game yesterday when you needed the subs to be made. Um, I thought it could have happened a little bit earlier. Um, fresh legs, etc. Mm -hmm. But uh, the lads that started the game, I thought that it, it looked as though we were going to get mullered at the start, to be honest. But, um, you know, they steadied themselves and got back into the game and played a little bit decent football. Got caught in possession a bit too much for me in periods of the game. Um, the one thing is when you get it, you don't want to be giving it away that early. But but they stuck at it. And I think at the end of the day, one each was a decent re result. I know it's a third draw on the trot. But. It's contentious. The draw thing is, it kind of splits the fans a lot. Because obviously, like you say, four unbeaten, you, you try and take positives from that. But then some people would say, you'd rather then maybe try and go for games a bit more where you say, okay, two good draws on the road. And then you've got Coventry at home. But then you could say if you went for it against Swansea the other night and lost, but then you managed to nick a win at West Brom and then you draw today, or yesterday in that case, you finished the week with four points instead of three points. It's it's, it's it's a difficult one for us at the moment because we're quite critical of Rowett. Well, not, not necessarily myself and Mickey, but the fan base in general where we're quite set up negatively with the formation we play. We have five defenders on the pitch. You know, Obviously, the two wing-backs get forward a lot. But you then you've got two holding midfielders who don't really kind of contribute a lot going forward, although Savile did for the goal yesterday. It's, it's quite difficult. I mean, how do you balance that as a manager when to kind of think to go for the games, if you know what I mean? It's a, it's a tough one for right, I feel like. Well, is he not is he not confident in his in his first team squad? Because you know when when you saw last year, you saw games at home last year where there was five across the back, and okay, you can mm -hmm. you can always get away with that with the three in the three central defenders and your, and your two wing-backs pushing on. But I I think that might give a little bit of a wrong impression to the to the supporters as well because we, everybody thinks we should have five up front, not alone five at the back. We're playing at the end. We're at yeah. Millwall. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got that extra man with the crowd. Uh, so I think people have got to understand either either the squad isn't as good as what the supporters think it is, and uh, that's why he's being cautious. But um, yesterday, I thought the game unfolded, and uh, I, you know, if that second goal—I mean, the second goal was a turning point in the game. There, if that had gone in, 
and everybody was euphoric. You know, the crowd mm. were up on their feet, the players were, and then you see a linesman standing with his flag up for, for yeah. some unknown, unknown reason. And I know, Mickey, you've explained it very fully. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I just read, I read the segment was in the rules. But my, my question is with that, with that is that the linesman seemed to take forever and a day to suddenly That's put what I mean. The goal went up and he was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I when, mean, the maybe... ball, when the ball, I think the thing that, that um, threw him was it was such a good ball in play with pace. I mean, and um, after after the first little confrontation, and then the boy added it in. Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't see where he's coming. Whether whether he flagged offside for the position he finished after he added it, I don't know. But I, don't, um, I mean, my my thoughts are possibly looking obviously social media and 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 things online. It looks as if he potentially flagged it off because he gave because of Smith because of Smith Smith. Smith jumped over their player, even though he had no no intention of, of touching it, um, because their player played him on. But I think that was. Uh, I think the argument was is Smith's in the middle, Bradshaw's behind him, who then tucks the ball away. Smith jumps to the ball, but then brings the defender closer to Smith, yeah. meaning then Bradshaw's free at the back post to score the goal. And then their argument is because of Smith being offside, affecting the play and bringing the defender across, then Bradshaw, who was onside, is a judge to be offside because of Smith's involvement. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, I think. And I think even Mark Robbins after the game yesterday said, um, the commentary manager, that we should have had that goal stood. If it was him on the other way around, he'd, he'd feel just as aggrieved, I think. So well, it's unfortunate. Rightly so, because, um, you know, it's, it's okay, but the ball in sorted out Coventry's defence. I mean, mm -hmm. it was such a good ball in. I mean, when you're going to play a ball, it, it reminded me a little Dougie Alder. I mean, he used to knocking some great balls, Dougie, Illy. Um, and this ball that he played in, it was such, it was going away from the keeper. So he was in two minds whether he was going to come or, or stay. Um, Smith, Smith and the relatively, who I thought was not a bad player of the five, um, certainly good when it was around his feet. Um, he looked frightened to death when it got played in the air and Smithy was coming in on him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can't not go for that challenge because maybe you know, you know, the ball's going to go over your head, but you've still got to make that run and that challenge because if it, if it opens up for Bradshaw, then where's the fellow marking Bradshaw? It, you know, mm -hmm. great finish, great finish, and it certainly didn't deserve to be disallowed. Because no, I, you said, Mickey, he took a long time to put that flag up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he even let Bradshaw celebrate, didn't he? Bradshaw celebrated yeah. right yeah, in front yeah. of him, done a little knee slide, then he puts his flag off. And you're thinking, I think it would have, like you said, I think it would have changed the game massively because we we questioned it as well that the the fans would just seem to have just nulled it. Just suddenly, it went really, really. You know, when we scored when we scored our first goal, um, it was. It brought the crowd back into play because Coventry fans were loud. And, you know, good they luck were. to them. I mean, they, they brought pretty much best part of 2,000 fans down um, and, and they were loud. I mean, we, we commented on it that they were so mm. loud that it was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I did too. I, I, was sitting, um, I was sitting with some people and, uh, I mean, I happened to comment, do they realise it's a two-hour journey home this lot? Um, <laughs> but, but they were actually out singing Millwall and that, and that worried me a little bit because the way Coventry started, 
I mean, you know, they were on fire. I mean, mm. you know, the Swedish boy up front, he's not bad. Some of his runs were were, were very threatening. I mean, we had trouble when he when he was going past our defenders. I mean, I was waiting for him to get brought down. He, he had a couple of little falls in the second half, which which were laughable. But but he was still a big first half. He was a big threat. He took his goal really well as well, didn't he? Like I think he had a couple of opportunities. Even the second half, Bart made a smart save, similar sort of setup. But he took the goal really well, and I think he, he he's, he's got five goals in eight games now this season. So you know they're obviously all on a high, and the crowds obviously on their side is definitely coming to play as well, isn't it? It's just I I, I found it, I found it quite difficult at times yesterday when I was reflecting at the back game. You get home, you're disappointed, even though it's a draw. I know, but it's three draws in a row. We drew five in a row last season, so I'm expecting us to probably beat that this year, potentially. We'll never know with, with Millwall. Um, but I, I, I thought I was a bit envious of Coventry, the way they played and the slick passing football. And with us, we're quite, you're right to say, obviously, the goal, our goal was good build up, but that's the only time we really kind of yeah. moved it around and kind of we have the ability to do it. We saw it with the goal. But with Coventry, where they had O'Hare in the middle and, you know, they were kind of pulling off defenders and bringing players out wide and, moving the ball around and it, all the Coventry fans were cheering every time they've done these little slip moves to play out of, you know, possession. I'm just thinking, oh. what, I don't want Mill to necessarily do that extreme, but there's no excitement in this side sometimes, I feel like, with Mill. It's quite difficult. I mean, is it how difficult is it to kind of stamp your authority on a team and have a style of play, I feel like? I don't, I don't know what you take on that, Brian. No, I'm, I'm, I, th I think you're 100% right. And um, as I said earlier, that the, the thing about... Coventry yesterday was they looked as though they wanted it mm -hmm. and there were periods in the game where Millwall looked as though they wanted it but not as urgently as what Coventry were playing I mean when they moved the ball around Coventry there was some very very slick football mm -hmm. and um, you know they opened us up two or three times in the first half and thought we were very fortunate and very lucky that we we managed to steer them into wide positions where it was rather difficult to score than than it was when they scored, but yeah. um, no, I I enjoyed watching I enjoyed watching the game yesterday. I thought it was a it was a surprise to me that it was that it was in periods that kind of quality. It was end to end uh, at times, wasn't it? I felt like, and oh, both well, sides I, I, really felt like it was. Yeah, I think we ended up for, you know three apiece at one stage. I thought it was mm -hmm. you know, there were chances being created. There were there were things happening in the goal mouths. Um, but again, it was just we Millwall are at the den, mm -hmm. and I mean, wh where's the fear factor for um, these teams this, that are coming? I this, mean, the crowd out outsung Millwall in the first in the first half an hour, which was a worrying sign. They mm -hmm. they outplayed Millwall in the first twenty minutes. Um, you know, where's the den? This is mm -hmm. the den. We this don't is want it. I mean, coming here. Let's see. I mean, when when you were playing, obviously uh, at the picture behind me at the old den um, or the proper den, um, you wouldn't have got away with playing like this, would you? Over over the period of time where we played like this, there there you you there would have been untold amount of pressure from from the fans um, if if we had played like this, wouldn't we? Well, when you think um, Benny Fenton bought players and he bought well. Not because he bought me, but because he went out and got talented players with first division clubs. You know, Weller, Posse. Imagine getting Weller, Posse, and Burnett for under fifty grand. Um, I mean, that's what managers were about in those days, and they are today. But that was work 
behind the scenes when we went home, he's going to matches. He's going to reserve matches. He's going to 18 matches. He's picking up on these young players. And um, they might not be good enough. And um, I've, I've just received a thing on my phone now, very sad news that dear old Jimmy Greaves passed away this morning. Um, I mean, when, when clubs could bring in those kind of players, it was difficult for the young players to break in. And um, I look at Liverpool today and, and they've introduced quite a few good young players. Um, Aston Villa brought in a young kid, boy Cash who scored one of the goals against Everton. He looked lively. Um, funnily enough, my last, my last um, thing at Aston Villa was I brought in a Finnish goalkeeper who'd been on the bench um, when Martinez was away. Uh, whether he'll ever get a chance, I don't know. But um, he's got everything for him. He's got the size. He's, he's brave. Decent hands. Um, but there again, Finnish boy. Why should we bring in Finnish boys? We should, be, we should be getting English boys in. We should be finding English goalkeepers. That was the essence of football in my day. Every, every In my position, I mean, there were 10 goalkeepers who could play for England. There ain't 10 goalkeepers today that can play for England. Hmm. Very true. Go on, Mickey. No, I totally agree with you. And I think I think that's the difference. I mean, while we're talking about goalkeepers before before I ask my other question, I mean, how do you rate our keepers? How do you rate Bart's performance yesterday? I mean, personally for us, I think he pulled off a couple of blinding saves that probably kept us well in the game. Um, and, and obviously, he, he's it, the last game we played, he, he his performance was great with the penalty save. I mean, how, how's your your rating of, um, of Bart? As, well, a, as a keeper in the in the current game, I know one thing what you'll probably disagree with because we've spoken about this on previous shows is he uses massive padded gloves, <laughs> uh, and in your day, obviously, you preferred not to use massive padded gloves, or they weren't around then. Well, they weren't around for a start, but to be fair to him, and every goalkeeper playing today, the coating on the ball today does not allow for you to use bare hands. Similar as that, it's all. It's all programmed for money. It's all programmed for, for, for show. I mean, you see, last year, Peter Cech brought a pair of gloves out last year, £168. £168. Now, is that going to make you a better goalkeeper or not? It might help you to grip the ball, which you, which you have to wear gloves today because the coating on the ball, um, if I go and pick a ball up, if somebody fires a ball at me, it's very difficult to... To, to hold on to the thing, you know, but with those gloves, you know, it's, it's the same as Predator boots or, or any of these new boots have got no laces or special kind of studs. It, it's all relevant for the day. Um, with Bart, um, as I say, the first goal, it could have been cleared three or four times. The finish was a good finish. Um, maybe allowed a little bit too much space to his right-hand side. For the far post, but he's a shot stopper. Um, he does pretty well one on one. The thing that worries me is when the ball is in the air, um, is decision making for crosses. Uh, I've seen him get caught out two or three times, but there again, if you've got three center halves and big lads as well, um, maybe, maybe he's being told, or maybe he feels he doesn't have to come as much as I would have come, or or goalkeepers in my era do. But um, he does okay. He does okay. They're, um, I'm not sure whether I'm going to put him with the Millwall greats 
as such, but um, he's still got time to get in there, that's for sure. There's definitely we, a lot of greats, though, unfortunately. We, <laughs> we love a shot stopper at Mill as well, I feel like, because I feel like David Ford like was a shot stopper for me. I don't know, I, I could be mistaken, but obviously I'm a fan watching instead, but like that kind of... The similar sort of, I feel like Bart and David Ford always have some sort of similarities there. I, I don't know if that's me talking absolute rubbish, uh, Brian, or I, I, I don't know what you think, but I think Fordy for me was a legend. Like, I've got his shirt up here, for example, my wall. Um, but like, I, I like Bart as well. He's he reminds me similar, like the ability to kind of get to the corner of shot stopping, like and saving long range efforts and and make it look quite easy. But then, like you say about how maybe when it's up close, maybe just getting down to the bottom corners might be the difficult part for the likes of Bart. Maybe sometimes you might go a little bit early, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with people coming in on the angle. Um, it's, there's a couple of goals I've seen that he's conceded where he's, he's gone back on his heels early. But again, it's, you know, somebody said to me yesterday, what about if you had to play today? Mm-hmm. How would you do? I said, well, I'd probably do badly because I'm 74 years old. <laughs> but in your in your prime, yeah. How and you know you didn't play when you played in the in the sixties seventies when obviously you had different different balls, different way of playing. It was it was a lot more aggressive. If you were to your career was now you were where you were then, but now and, and you were playing, how would you find playing in the current football setup? Yeah, I could handle that. I'm pretty sure about that. I was. I, I was a good size, uh, with and without gloves. I had good hands. Um, I used to come and catch crosses, um, which was probably a feature of my game. And um, some, somebody told me there was a thing on the television the other week from '74. Millwall Portsmouth, yeah, and and on it there was um, there was the save of the season which I won. Um, against Brighton, um, and that was a big match save of the season, which they showed. And also, I had a couple of saves against Portsmouth, which were which were relatively good, although... Thanks to my ongoing treatment at Wonder Warrior Project, I'm learning that the journey is the destination. Learn about our no-cost mental health programs for post-9-11 veterans and their families at woundedwarriorproject.org slash support. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. I'm I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really going to have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. I spoke to a couple of people and they said they thought I could have held that shot, but um, it was going in the top left-hand corner. Uh, probably if I'd have had gloves on, I would have done. But, um, yeah, I, I could handle that. I, I wasn't too bad with the kicking. Um, you can soon adjust. Uh, obviously... Players can do a little bit more with balls than they did in our day because when we started the game, it was a decent football. And if it was a heavy, rainy day, it finished up as a medicine ball. Um, but today, the ball is lightly coated. The pitches are so good. I mean, you look at Millwall's pitch yesterday, and from where I was sitting, it looked excellent. 
Um, yeah, they've just had it all redone. So yeah. they've, they've just played best part of, I think, about half a million pound and they've had it all dug up during off-season. Uh, they were meant to do it two years before because obviously yeah. we were playing the Wonderwall Cup there and we couldn't get it one year and then COVID hit, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. we couldn't get it because they've literally ripped it all up. They've put all new undersoil heating, undersoil drainage, everything else. But yeah, we, we, we commented on the pitch yesterday because I said, you know, well, it's looking a, it's looking a little bit haggard. But as I said, normally this part of the season... It starts to cut up already. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was cut up already. But I have to say, if you listen, which I know some of them do, our grounds, our ground staff are some of the best ground staff in the country. The miracles, well, what they can pull off with that pitch, are unbelievable. Well, to be fair, being a groundsman today is um, is a, a very, very high position at, at anything, whether it's football, cricket or or any sport. But when you see the way they turn Wimbledon out and Wembley and Twickenham and, and, and all the major sporting areas um, and stadiums, I mean, you, you just have to hold your hands up to these groundsmen and say, well, they certainly know what they're doing. That's for sure. No, that's it. I mean, another question while you while you were quickly. How how it's probably a double double question, really. But it's one is how much does confidence affect you as a player, and how does the crowd come on to that? If, for instance, like us, where we've we seem to become in draw merchants rather than going out to win. So, you know. One is, you know, how does confidence affect you, and then how does a, how does a crowd's um, attitude or performance affect you as a player? Well, well, I feel when this is going back to the old days now in the old den. Um, before I joined Millwall, I spoke to Kenny Jones. I spoke to I spoke to Peter Shreves. Kenny, of course, was a regular for for Millwall at that time, and about coming in and joining Millwall Football Club, and he said to me. It's a good club. It's rough and ready. Telling you now, you will know in the first 12 months whether you're going to survive playing for Millwall or you're not. Simple as that. Because if they take to you, they'll take to you. But if they don't, then you've got to work hard to get them to accept you. And that was my position. I took over from two top, top goalkeepers. I mean, Alex Stepney was was a, a, a top goalkeeper who went on to play and the rest is history. Laurie Leslie came as a very experienced pro um, and a very, very good goalkeeper. It helped me immensely. He helped me so much that within six months, I took his place. But I think the crowd saw something that, that wasn't going to be hopeless in me. You understand me? Because if I made a mistake, I could always pull off something which was a little bit special, and um, I just kept, I just kept playing. You know, I didn't, I didn't let it. I must admit, when I played in the reserves in one game, somebody knocked a pass back back to me when I'd had a little bit of an iffy spell in the first spell in the first team. I picked a back pass up, and the people that were there cheered it. You know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, now now I know they're on my case. Now I know they're on my case. And as much as you want to turn around and put your fingers up and and, and whatever, I always found them to be very knowledgeable and um, and honest. Because if you needed a, a bollocking, you, you got it from them, pretty sharpish. But I can remember that turning point of as a run of games, five or six games where I kept five or six clean shoots, I think. 
and I came back to the den there, a couple of excellent games there and and it it's a great it's a great lift, Mickey, when 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 they're with you. And whether it's at the new den or the old den, the crowd can still make or break you, I'm sure of that. Millwall crowd. It, it is a very, very it's a tough crowd to please. It's a tough crowd to win over. But when you do it, you're there for life, mate. You're there for life. They never forget you. And as, as it proves with me, when I go down there, you know, I hadn't played there for over 40 years. Funnily enough, in the programme yesterday, there was a there was a match which we played 50 years ago. And that was against Norwich City. Norwich City were top of the league, unbeaten. And we were second or third unbeaten, I think. This was the first game we had where Ron Saunders had a... Ron Saunders had a... Um, uh, a warm-up program that he introduced where the players went out on the pitch 20 minutes before. Talking about groundsmen, the, the Millwall pitch at that in that era, after a very heavy rainfall, would not take a 20-minute warm-up. And um, him and him and Benny standing, I can, I can still hear the row that went, because we were all looking through the door, because Benny's, Benny's having a row with Ron Saunders about going on the pitch. He's going up pitch, he said, I'll knock you out. And and to be fair, Benny Wood, no one's going on that pitch. You've got about 50 coppers down there to stop and going out. So they had to stretch out and warm up in that area before, just outside the dressing rooms. And I mean, Ron Saunders was furious. And he blames Benny and the police because we beat them 2 1. And that's the first time they got beat in 14 matches or 13 matches. And he blames Benny for, for breaking up his routines with the team. And Benny's reply was short and sharp. It started with an F and ended with a P or an F. And um, that was how it was. But but I think I think the crowd still has a has a factor. That's what that's why I was a bit surprised in the first twenty odd minutes that they were so quiet. I was waiting for that Millwall roar and, and no one likes us, but it got overshadowed uh, overshadowed a little bit by the Coventry City lot. And I never really responded, even when I played there, that they were a, a great enthusiastic creating atmosphere crowd but I tell you they they done very very well yesterday they gave their club good support and they made Millwall I think they got Millwall to react to wake up a little bit definitely yeah it, I think it's because I don't think there's a divide on Rowett in the fan base from for us just yet but I know there's a lot of people that are, it probably is a divide I'm probably sugarcoating ain't now Mickey let's be honest especially if you read into Twitter yeah. and even a full time yesterday going off to a boo when you've drawn one all at home like Maybe the boo was some for the referee, some for the for the for the players. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it, I think we're in a position where it's, it's a little bit of a crossroads moment. I feel like for Gary right away. It's like if he really needs to kind of persevere with what he's setting up with, or maybe give in to a more I don't know forward thinking Mill style of play. Maybe so it's a bit of a kind of crossroads moment, which is I suppose it, it comes up every time in a manager's career. I suppose especially at the Den, but it's a tough moment I think for him at the moment at the Den. I think so, um, and. Um... I'm not sure whether he's helping his cause. Um, I'm, again, it's there's been a lot of managers in the last 10 years who, for me, seem to struggle to be so-called Millwall managers or or players who or, or managers who can who can not only handle the players but and can handle the environment. Mm. Um, He's, he, he's had his bedding in period. And again, I mean, he's getting criticism for three decent draws and a win. Um, 
<laughs> Welcome to Millwall. <laughs> problem is, you look at the table, yeah, and Coventry are second, and Millwall are fourth or fifth from bottom. Yeah, um, which maybe is a little bit unfair, but it's still early in the season, I suppose. And there's still loads of games to come, but it's just, I suppose, like especially with not being able to go to the den for 15, 16, 17 months, thanks to COVID and stuff, to then go back and then when you have like, especially our home games, we had the Blackburn at home where we could have and should have put them away and won the game. We drew one all. Then we have Blackpool. I mean, obviously we had Fulham and Fulham were just a different class, but obviously they've got the finances to support the players they've got. We kind of struggled over line against Blackpool, but showed some resilience and got that first win. And then you've got, obviously, this game yesterday where, like, you know, I think we just need that kind of one big home performance, but I'm not certain we get that under the way we set up. Obviously, we've mentioned about the, the, the you know, five defenders and stuff. I don't think we'll put teams away three or four nothing, which mm. I think maybe he almost needs that one big win to kind of get the fans back on board a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, the match on Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Against yeah, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. Um, that's certainly going to be a test because they've got quite a decent outfit up there. He's got them playing football. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how far Millwall have come, even this early in the season, to, to play against a Premier Division team. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great boost if they could nick a win there, um, you know, for everybody, crowd, club, players, manager. Yeah, no. Uh, I agree with that, and I think this is a good point to end part one. So we will be back in part two. We're going to ask Brian... Um, some questions about the the youth and and you know bringing youth in and also we're going to talk to him obviously possibly about the uh, the position in Souths what we do so yeah join us we'll be straight back after this. Welcome back to part two. Um, uh, again, we we've still got Brian on the show. One thing what was interesting, obviously, um, you've you've scouted, you've uh, you've managed teams, uh, obviously not in the UK, but you've managed teams and you scouted for teams in the UK. Um, how hard is it to spot a good youngster and then try and bed them into the team? Um, you know, for for we've got some really good youngsters what are going out on loan and that, and at the moment we could probably do with some of those players playing in in striking positions or um in positions where we need players but yeah i mean how hard is it to you know why doesn't a manager bring these players through well again it's um how these kids are doing wherever they are on loan um but as you say if if there is a distinct shortage in and when you see some of the premier league clubs i mean some of these academies are producing, I think, Chelsea four or five years ago when Frank Arneson was there, spent over £70 million on bringing in young players, of which half of them just disappeared and and the rest have progressed and made an awful lot of money for the football club. Um, Where Mill will have to be um, extremely resilient is that the South London area has always turned up football talent. Um, but as you say, Millwall, you've got Crystal Palace, you've got Cholton. Um, and then just down the road now, I can't understand why Millwall haven't progressed as quickly as what Brentford have. Now, here's a club that two or three years ago were, were also runs. But 
now in the last three or four years, they've introduced a foreign coach um, and a foreign scouting system and a, and they brought in good foreign players. I mean, the boy Norgold playing in central midfield. I've, I watched him playing in Denmark when he was 15, 16 years of age and everybody said he lacks pace. First thing everybody said, he lacks pace. But he was good on the ball. He was clever on the ball. And what about Glenn Oddle? Did he lack pace? Yes. But he could open defences and change games by just one single pass or in an area of the field where he was maybe 25, 30 yards out, you're waiting for the pass and he hits a wonder goal. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen the young players at at, uh, at Millwall, but again, as you say, Mickey, I've heard that there's there is talent there. Um, I I think the manager's thinking at the moment it's difficult. We're we're having to fight for results. Senior players are needed in this at this time, and um, maybe it's putting too much early pressure on young players. Um, you know, to come in and and have to produce. I mean. You know yourself, whether it's a young player, um, you you need the um, the end product straight away. I mean, there's 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 no courting period here. It's um, the kid comes in, and as as we say today, and we said in my day, if if they if they're young and they're good enough, then give them a chance, because um, there is a lot of talent out there, and uh, these kids have got great enthusiasm. And mainly yesterday, you needed one or two young players to show the others a bit of enthusiasm. It also helps to get bring fans on side as well, doesn't it? I suppose because well, we always love one of our own as well, sort of thing to it, and that always has advantages there. Um, I don't want to steer away from you talk too much, but like well, you mentioned Brentford there, but you knew with Brentford, regardless of who the, the head coach is, or in their case, obviously instead of manager. You knew what Brentford's identity was. They've got Matthew Benham there, and he's obviously got the affiliations in Denmark or Norway, or I can't remember which club, uh, club it is over there. It's Michelin, isn't it? I think it Michelin, is, isn't it? Yeah, Michelin, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and um, you know they've got the identity of what they do, and this is the, like this is how we recruit. This is how we want to play. Whereas with Millwall, we're kind of we're kind of I feel like a bit an old-fashioned club, which obviously is a good thing about Millwall. But at the same time, you say about obviously not progressing up. I feel like we get held back a lot because you bring a manager in, he has his ideas, manager leaves, you bring a manager in afterwards and he has a completely slightly different uh, list of ideas and then he transitions the squad to how he likes it, signs X, Y and Z. And then the next person comes in after that and has the same problem where he likes to have ABC instead. And I think, I do sometimes, I've said this on the pod a few times with Mickey, like, I feel like we lack that direction of someone to say, this is how Millwall's going to play. And this is what we're going to do, and then hopefully the manager can abide to that, or at least have be on the same page of it. If you know what I mean. Well, well, again, unfortunately, in today's game, managers don't seem to have enough time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Benny Fenton, I think, was a Millwall manager for ten years, um, probably the longest serving Millwall manager in the last fifty years. Uh, and and as you say, uh, as soon as things start to deteriorate and that's why I'll hold my hands up to Coventry City because it's been very easy to sack Mark Robbins last year mm-hmm. um, but they stuck with him and uh, he's proved that the things that he was trying to implement last year are starting to bear fruit now and um, full marks to him and full marks to Coventry but again as you say it's um, it might be a little bit easier and a bit more tolerant up at Coventry than they are at the new den or the Millwall supporters. 
I think, is nothing against them. No, I think also I think this is the first season now in 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 a long time um, where we've started to scout overseas because for some unknown reason we 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 didn't seem to want to scout um, overseas at all, like Germany, France, um, Norway, Sweden, etc. We we just didn't seem to want to scout these players when potentially there there's probably some players there what could play in the championship and play well for us. I mean, well, possibly you, get them cheap. Well, you're certainly the boy who played um, who played for Coventry yesterday. Mm. I mean, you know, they've nicked him out of the Swedish league. Um, not a top, top player. But I tell you what, everybody who saw him play yesterday, they, they thought he was a major threat to Millwall. Um, every time he got the ball and run at us, um, you know, he caused, he caused problems. And he scored again, and as, as Omar said, I think he scored four or five goals in the last four or five matches. But there, there is the new Brexit law, of course, where young players now can't move from abroad until they're 18. But um, you can still go out and look at players of 16 and 17 and keep them at the club where they are, um, bring them over for periods and, and let them do a bit of training with the side and then bring them in when they're old enough. But, but it is getting harder. It's more competitive. Um, there's not a there's not a great emphasis now on scouting within football clubs, as in eyes, as in you know physically going and looking for players with your with your scouts' eyes. It's a lot of stats and a lot of analysts. Um, personally, I don't think it's I, I don't think that's ever going to bring scout into the 21st century. It's it's a feeling you get a feeling when you go and look at a player. You know, I go back to when I was at Tottenham and I saw Luka Modric for the first time. And uh, so small, um, could he cope with the physical side and, and, and this as, as he was 18, 19. But, but then when I saw him when he was 20, 21, I mean, great energy, great feet, run all day, pass it, can score goals from distance. Um, so Spurs signed him. It was a lot of money. They had to sign him three years earlier, it it had been peanuts. But by the time it was time to sign him, other clubs were interested. And it was a it was um a position of selling Spurs to him and also his own club. And they had the price, that's the price. They brought him in. And again, the rest is history. Because he's gone on to be one of the best players in the world. I mean, what I mean, when when you're scouting, I mean, what 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 other players have you you scouted over the years? I mean, any other names? What what we know, and and also, what do you you know? How hard is it for you to see a player and go, he's going to fit into that team or he's going to fit into that club, and then you're having to you then obviously have to sell that player to to the club or the manager you're speaking to, and then you've got to obviously try and sell the team to that player if it's interest, if, if you're definitely interested in them? Well, um, when I was at Aston Villa, I took Olaf Melberg, who played many years for Aston Villa, Swedish international. Again, we we first approached, we first approached um, Olaf when he was playing for a small club in Sweden called Dagerfors. Could have had him for 400,000 euros. Um, dear, old Deadly, dear old Deadly said no, it's too much money for a, for a Swedish second division player. Um, later paid five million to a Spanish club. Um, and Olaf become, as John Gregory says to me, probably one of his best signings ever. 
but I pushed him and uh, certainly John liked him and uh, he proved to be a great servant to Aston Villa and also Sweden. He played over 100 times for Sweden. Um, I was, I was before I was really scouting, I had good contacts with, with managers. Alex Ferguson took over at Man United. Um, he came to Norway to look at a couple of players who weren't, who weren't good enough. I was in America, uh, the Norway Cup, um, as a Norway Cup representative at the USA Cup. There was a third division team there called KFUM Oslo, which is like a boys club team. And the centre half was not a big, strong centre half, but he was a he was a clever centre half with great feet. Read he read the game great. Sixteen years of age, sent him up to Fergie. He was there three days. Fergie comes back. We'll have him. Um, he's great potential, and. Um, then we found out, of course, he had never played international football. He'd never been in the under-15s or under-16s, so he had no international caps at all. And after Fergie quieted down, he um, he said, well, well, we can't sign him. you know. And then I think it was several years later, he bought him from Blackburn Rovers for about six million quid. And uh, he, he always said to me, you know, I had the kid in the room, you know, we could have got him for about £10,000 compensation. Hmm. Um, but Henning done well and, and you know, he's, he's, he's had a great career. He's managing now in Cyprus, I think, with a team in Cyprus, but played over 100 times for, for Norway. Um, funnily enough, the last, the, the last big one I had in England was Holland. We had him at Everton um, with his father. Um, he, he spent a few days there, played for the youth team. Um, didn't look quite as mobile as he does today. Uh, thought he could have been a Duncan Ferguson type with pace. And uh, they didn't fancy him. Then Manchester United came in um, not so long ago, but they were too late. They were too late actually getting in touch with his father the agent, and the club. And in missing the deadline, he joined Red Bull Salzburg. And after a year of scoring goals for fun, he went on to now and he plays for Borussia Dortmund. And this is a player, at that time we brought him in, and he'd been and visited a couple of other English clubs. You could have got him with the compensation rule for 50, 55,000 euros. That was a compensation package. Um, he just wanted to play in England. And his father, of course, Alfie, who I know quite well, and um, he had a good career in England and also for Norway. He, um, he didn't feel at the time that Everton would be the right club for him. They went back to Norway and carried on playing for Brina. And then he went to Mulder with, with Solskjaer and then sold on to Salzburg and from Salzburg to... To Dortmund now, everybody's talking about him, possibly coming into the English game in the near future, and and the figures a hundred million euros. So, you can win some and lose some. No, definitely. But, definitely. Uh, but I've I've just enjoyed I've just enjoyed travelling and finding some of these players and and getting them brought into the clubs. You know. 
sorry, the, the, the question there was just going to say before before we look to to move to it is how does what what are the rules around the compensation? You've mentioned it a couple of times, and obviously there we've we've got a couple of players where they're not signing, and obviously it's looking at compensation. How does that compensation rule work then for well, I think the youngster? To, to be fair, Mick, I think it's it's changed now because of Brexit, of course. Yeah. Um, you can't bring a, a foreign player in um, who's who's not 18 years of age. Um, you might you might scout them when they're 15, 16. That's what we used to do. But uh, then, of course, you're not only when when you're going to a game, you're you're not going to be the only scout there. You're going to be very lucky to pick out a game where you're going to. You're going to find a player, um, and um, you know I, I I was going to games that'd be four four Dutch clubs, four German clubs, two French clubs, Spanish clubs, Italian clubs, English clubs, all at the same game as you were. So it's it, it ain't easy to not say that these guys ain't going to see what you see um, because they'd all been working at it for quite some time and. And uh, it, it, you you get a feeling for a kid. You get a feeling for the way he plays, the way he conducts himself, the way he warms up. You know, all these things you look at. And then, of course, clubs go into the private side of his life um, to see how he conducts himself off the pitch. And that used to imply, also apply when I was playing. I mean, clubs used to check up on the way players, you know, how long has he been in the pub? Um, is it a regular visit he does, you know? And he might only go in the pub. I remember when I was... When I was growing up in the first part of Mill, uh, Millwall days, people said, cool, you go down to King's Arms a lot, don't you? You know, yeah, but we used to go. That that was our, that was our computer in there. That was our Facebook. That was our have a game of darts, um, have a game of crib, you know, have a game of nap or whatever. It, you know, the competition was fierce in these pubs. I mean, you had to win to stay on. Uh, the same with dominoes and these kind of things. But... I know it don't sound very exciting today, but 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 that was our computer games, really. Yeah, no, look, I agree, and I think we'll bring this to an end. But I think it, you know, with the breaking news that's come on while we've been on um, about the sad passing of Jimmy Graves um, at the age of eighty-one. Obviously, he was part of um, the World Cup winning squad of nineteen sixty-six. Um, he scored a remarkable forty-four goals in fifty-seven games. Um, with England, um, have you got a, a, a story or, or or something about um, Jimmy that you'd like to to tell us? Um, well, it's, there's a story in the book, Mickey. Uh, um, so don't forget the book. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to give the book a plug <laughs> afterwards because it's now available at the club shop, um, yeah. and obviously, or you can go on to. Um, Little little hell books, and you could probably order one from from there and get Brian to sign it for you. So I believe all the links in there. I've got a signing to do in November at Waterstones in Chelmsford. Yep. Right. Um, I believe Waterstones have also got it now. Um, it took a bit of time, of course, because uh, the publisher Jim Murray was a little bit reluctant to to put it on there. But but um, always grateful for Jim and always. Um, Another great Millwall supporter. He's a Millwall and supporter. You, and if you don't know Jimmy's Jim wrote Lion of the South, uh, which right. is pretty much an encyclopedia for uh, Millwall fans. So, yeah. so yeah. But and also the guy who wrote my book, Mark Howarth, 
yeah. done a tremendous job. I mean, he's he done a fantastic job, yeah. Exactly yeah, what if, I said. But let's go not, back to Jimmy. Let's go back to Jimmy. I was playing for Chelmsford City. I was it's 1965. I was just coming up for 18. Chelmsford City played in the Metropolitan League, which was a league which um, which uh, had West Ham A team in it, Arsenal A team, Cholton Reserves, Tottenham A team, uh, Luton uh, Luton Reserves. You know, it was a good league. It was a good league, and for young players to play it and I played against Derek Posse and Keith Weller uh, two years before I even met him at Millwall. Um, and the same with Kitch, I played against him. But this particular game, we were going to play Spurs at Chesson in the Metropolitan League. Now, Jimmy had been out for a week. He'd, he'd got a whack on his ankle. And this was an opportunity for him to play an A-team match after he just played in the reserve team. So he was going to get two games before they played Manchester United at home, I think. And, um, of course, the old A4 piece of paper came in our dressing room and the usual names would be on it, John Pratt, Jimmy Pierce, Posse, you know, those kind of names. And also there was a name, Greaves, on it. And um, Peter Collins, who, who played with me at Chelsea, who went on to play for Tottenham, um, turned to us and said, you know, I, I won't use his interpretation, but it was blimey. Snuggly's playing at number 10. So we said, well, who is it then? He said, Jimmy Greaves. So fair enough. You know, the old the old air was standing up by then. And uh, this is this is one of the all-time all -time great players in that period of 65. And um, we got out. And I must admit, he murdered, on his own, he murdered Peter Collins. And on his own, I mean... He had me up and down like a yo-yo two or three times when he was one-on-one. -on -one. He was I mean, incredible with Greavesy. I mean, he could, he could go either way, either foot, and, and it looked ridiculously easy when he scored. And as it says in the book, I think he it was a dress rehearsal for his goal he scored against Man United when he danced through the whole of the Man United defence and went around the goalkeeper and scored. But it was funny at half-time, <laughs> we're 4-0 down and he scored all four goals. And um, he's walking off, and there's Bill Nick and 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 uh, Eddie Bailey standing on the side. So he, he just looked across him. He said, uh, "Was that all right? Um, I've heard the miss. I've got to do something with the misses." Um, he said, uh, "Am I finished?" So Eddie Bailey says to him, uh, "Well, you think you've done enough then?" He said, "Well, four goals should have had six, um, and that enough." He never come out second half, but he. He came in. He came in the dressing room, and uh, stuck his head around the door, and he said, "Well done, boys. You know, you've you, you've all got future. Just keep at it." And he looked at me and he said, "Lucky I never got six, really, wasn't it?" And he said, um, "The last one you saved from me, son." He said, "That's good enough." He said, "That's good enough. You're nearly as good as Pat Jennings," and uh, <laughs> and I thought he didn't have to do that, did he? He didn't have to do that. It was Jimmy Greaves. It's brilliant. That's, that's yeah. It's, it's like you say. It's, he did have to do that. I suppose for you, obviously, obviously, back then as well, it must have been a big morale boost for you as well. I take it. Fantastic. I mean, just who he was. I mean, he was a great, great footballer, and I still say, two of them got knighted along with Elf, Jeff Hurst, and Bobby Charlton. Why did the other nine not get knighted? I, I would, I will argue that case to the day I die because. Sir Jimmy Greaves, Sir Jimmy Greaves.
and Sir Gordon Banks and, and so yeah, on. Yeah, but I, I fully agree with you. I don't see why a couple did, but look, Brian, you have been a absolutely superb guest as always, and I can't appreciate uh, you giving up your Sunday morning to come on the show. What I would say is Brian's book is available um, now in the club shop, but it is available on Little Hell Books website as well, which we will put all the links in the descriptions. Um, again, Brian is coming over again in November. So as soon as we know what the book tour is or where he's doing signings, we will let you know. He is obviously going to be in Chelmsford. Hopefully, Bill Wall will get him at the club shop when he's over because he's coming over to visit um, and watch a few games. And Ricky, can, I just, can I just say, I believe, I believe I've got to do something, uh, the Reading game. Yeah. Um, Either, either up in the lounge or, or one of the lounges. I'm also going to probably do the VIP thing against Derby and also your presentation, yeah. which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, the Birmingham City game in December, um, I'm going to be in the club shop then, uh, so I've heard. Right. So, so again, the ideal Christmas present for Brian's book. Um, the writer, Mark, who, who did his book, it is like Brian sitting in the room telling you his story. The, the way that it's written is superb. Mark is a, uh, a an ex-sports journalist, an ex-journalist, and he writes it really, really well. So, look, if you want to get the book, it's priced at $19.99, um, available from the club shop, probably all good websites as well. Um, and, obviously, yeah, it's a Millwall legend. Thank you very much for coming. Um, that pretty much brings us to the end of this show. So, thanks very much, Omar, for joining us. Um, that little bit of noise is Omar's neighbour doing his garden. <laughs> I did um, fix it. I sort of closed the window, so we're oh, all good. It's, it's all fixed yeah. now. So we're look, professionals here. That's it. That's it. <laughs> look, um, if you like the show, remember, give us a five-star rating if you listen to this as a podcast on Spotify or on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube and you're not already subscribed, make sure you click that button. And also make sure you click the bell so you never miss a video from us. Um, that's it. We've been in that middle podcast. And this was episode 16, and we will be back on uh, later on in the week. So thanks very much. Speak to you all soon. Picture this, you're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. 
Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. He'd feel self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. <laughs> Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.